We have been working our way through this particular section of commands in Colossians 3 that addresses a body, a church, a group of believers who are drawn together uh, under the leadership of Christ and how God wants us to be toward each other, to view each other, to respond to each other, to treat each other, to talk about each other, to talk to each other. And last week, after finishing verses 11 through 14, as kind of a thought about all the inner change that God wants to produce, culminating in love, an incredible agape love, we began on the peace of Christ needing to rule all of our hearts as a church body, that it unites us, and then today, a second command featuring Christ, that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly. This is a key principle, a huge factor that determines how quickly, how fully, how deeply we grow in Christ and become like him. Probably affecting us far more than any of us realizes. In this one nine-word command that we're going to focus on today, and I could do more than one sermon, we'll limit it to one. I don't think it's exaggerating or overstating to say that the depth to which the word dwells actively in us, perhaps more than just about anything else, profoundly affects our relationship with God, our sin battle, our righteousness growth, and our becoming like Christ as much as anything else. So, warning up front, this is a particular passion of mine, and we have not preached on it in a while in terms of just what is the Bible and what is its importance in our lives. Um, But today, we're going to do that. So, fasten your seatbelt, brace yourself. It's going to be particularly intense and rapid, but I hope in a really good and really helpful way couple of thoughts just to lay out before you. Uh, You may or may not agree with them, but I would put forth to you, number one, that how you engage the word, what's happening when you are hearing or looking at or in some way connecting to the word, and how it engages you, and beyond just when you're looking at it, all the rest of the time, even when it's not there, determines much of your spiritual growth and life and vitality. But I would also put forth to you, my opinion, that I think rarely is God's word fully doing in us all it could be doing, all it's meant to do. So let me just illustrate a little bit, try to, just by asking some questions. So, how much of God's word do you think you heard this past week? If you think of all the things, all the ways that you may have encountered it from your personal quiet time to smaller groups, to church, to conversations with family and friends, to all the different ways that we can get it through technology now. Either how many verses, how many hours, you can think of that in in the quantity uh, that you want. Now, while it was coming into you, what kind of effect did it have, if anything? Where do you think it went? By that I mean in one ear and out the other. To your head, down to your heart. 
once you weren't any longer in it, was it still doing anything in you? How much of it, even this moment, has stuck with you? How much of it would you say is richly dwelling in you? To be honest, even on a message where I'm pressing this, the vast majority of us will get, forget the vast majority, if not all, 100% of this sermon. Perhaps by tonight, perhaps by later in the week, perhaps by several months from now. Gary Williams describes this challenge that I think pertains to us well. For the Christian, the deluge can include Bible information. We may have woeful gaps in our Bible knowledge, but at the same time, Christians in church cultures, which are focused on expository preaching or teaching, receive a lot of Bible reading. And he just gives some examples. We don't have this many services, but conscientious Christians might hear two passages preached on a Sunday, perhaps another one midweek, might study seven more on their own daily readings, may hear other texts expounded if they listen online or download sermons and talks. That's a lot of Bible, and it can foster an unreflective approach to Scripture. No sooner have I listened to one page expounded or a passage expounded than my attention is called to another, and all the plates soon fall to the ground because there are too many spinning at once. So I think there's a challenge for us, and this isn't meant as a guilt trip. I hope it comes to you as an urging and encouragement that will increase both your desire and your focus and your discipline on this. I want, for my own life, for your life, for Colossians 3.16a to be a living, real, dynamic, daily experience of yours by which God works mightily, perhaps more in more ways than you have experienced him working previously in your life. Let's ask for God's help. Lord, what a command this is, but what a grace you have given us that it is possible and that it is something that you want. But oh, how we need you to help us, to help us realize how critical this is, to help us value it more, want it, seek it, put things into our life that perhaps will help toward that end, but more than anything, pray for it to develop so that it truly becomes an ever-growing experience of our lives on this earth until we see Christ the Word face to face. We ask in your name and for the glory of your name in this church. Amen. So we're going to start with the why, and we're actually going to spend longer on the why than we are on the actual command, but it's all built around the word of Christ. That is a unique expression. Thousands of times, the Bible speaks of itself as the word of God, the word of the Lord, and then, of course, we have lots and lots of other scripture, um, the gospel, the law, the testimonies, the precepts, the teachings, the commands. All of those are ways that God speaks of the Bible or of his word. But this particular title, using quite uniquely Christ, I think is emphasizing both words from him, that he is an integral part of all the words that are recorded in the scriptures, 
but maybe even more the words about him. So, let me just quickly remind us, well, quickly, it'll take a little while, but I'll go fast. Remind us of some things. I have 14, there could be more. In fact, the longer I worked on this, the more frustrated I got of its inadequacy. But that all of these, with increasing emphasis, help explain to us why God considers this so important as to command it of us. We're going fast, doesn't cover everything, but here we go. Why so critical that the word of Christ dwell in us and dwell in us richly? Number one, because it's the very basis or foundation by which all of us are saved. We're all saved because the word, the gospel in particular, was brought to us and we heard it or saw it and believed it. First Peter 1, Peter just says straightly, you have been born again through the living and abiding word of God, the good news that was preached to you. Paul to Timothy, from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Romans 10, 17, huge one, faith. Faith for salvation, faith for our everyday living comes through the word of Christ. And you'll notice that that's the same expression here the unique one of the word of Christ. And then James speaks about the word when it's implanted in us is able to save our souls. Which means none of us goes to heaven by believing whatever we want or by trusting in our own goodness, but only by believing with all of our heart what the Bible explains and teaches us about our lostness, Christ's provision, and our need to believe and repent. Second reason why we need to have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, because it's the basis and foundation also of our sanctification. So Jesus' prayer, just before he went to the cross in the garden, one of his lines was, sanctify them in the truth. Grow them in that way. Peter talks about it in his second chapter. 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 gives us the most detail about this that we are sanctified, it's profitable for our sanctification to have the God-breathed words teaching us, reproving us, correcting us, training us in righteousness so that we are equipped or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. John Piper puts it this way. Yes, the Bible gives us many specifics as pointers how to live, but most deeply, the way the Bible equips us for every good work is by changing what we find satisfaction in so that, in our, so that our obedience comes from within freely, not by coercion from without. It does this when we read it and meditate on it and memorize it and meditate over it every day. Third reason why the word of Christ should dwell in us is because it's the way and means by which God reveals himself to us it's the primary means by which we can accurately, truly, and deeply know God, know our Father, know Christ. Martin Luther, just bluntly, to hear and read the Scripture is nothing else than to hear God. So in one sense, we can think of this as it is the voice of Christ when we read the Scriptures or hear the Scriptures, how he talks to us. If you think of Hebrews 1, the way that grand letter opens is 
in the past, long ago, for many centuries, God spoke through prophets and others. But now, verse 2 says, he has spoken to us by his son. And then verse 3 begins with, who is the splendor of the glory of God. That's the voice that is coming to us through God's word. Piper again. Oh, how precious is the Bible. It's the very word of God. In it, God speaks in the 21st century. This is the very voice of God. By this voice, he speaks with absolute truth and personal force. By this voice, he reveals his all-surpassing beauty. By this voice, he reveals the deepest secrets of our heart. No voice anywhere, anytime can reach as deep or lift as high or carry as far as the voice of God that we hear in the Bible. It is great wonder that God still speaks today through the Bible with greater force and greater glory and greater assurance and greater sweetness and greater hope and greater guidance and greater transforming power and greater Christ-exalting truth than can be heard through any voice in any human soul on the planet from outside the Bible. Oh, that we would sense more when we hear the word, God is talking, and that it would draw our hearts to that. And that we would also realize, because we have the Bibles, God is never silent. He is always speaking to us. He always has something to say. Oh, that we would have better ears to hear. But let's hone even more in to say that the, using the phrase, word of Christ, is pressing out that everything that the words of Scripture reveal about Christ very quickly, everything that the scriptures tell us about his nature, his attributes, the way that he is, what he is like. Secondly, everything the scriptures tell us about every part he played throughout the Old Testament. We know after his resurrection, when he met the disciples on the road to Emmaus, that he told them and told us through them, through that conversation, that all of scripture was about him. And now we know that Jesus is on every page. Jesus is, in some way, in every line. Third, it tells us everything about him in the core of the gospel, meaning how the Son of God became the Son of Man, was born as a human, lived a life like us, experiencing everything like us except for sin. And then in that righteous moment, climbing on the cross and his suffering, his death, all that that entailed, his resurrection and his ascension and his role now. The word of God we want dwelling most in us is this gospel truth about Christ. But it also includes everything about all he is now doing in heaven, in the church, in our own hearts, in the world. It tells us everything about what he is still going to do that we need to know to complete his plan for this age everything we need to know about what he will mean to us in heaven, and we're only given glimpses, but they're glorious ones, that forever and ever and ever we will exalt Christ and worship him and glorify him over. So in sum, if we want to use the line from chapter 1, verse 18, it's everything we need to know for now about the preeminence, the supremacy, the all-importance of Christ in every way. The Word of God is the revealed mind of Christ, will of Christ, work of Christ, power of Christ, preeminence of Christ, and glory of Christ. Spurgeon, from every text in the Bible, there's a road to Jesus Christ. 
Spurgeon again, Scripture is not Christ, but it is the silken clue that will lead you to him. MacArthur, God shows the beauty and excellency of Christ only to those who look into the word of God. This is why true spiritual change comes from reading and pondering and memorizing the Bible, and I'm going to add, and letting it dwell richly in us. It's not because you learn rules to obey. It's because it's the place where the Lord views the beauty and glory of Christ. We don't change ourselves. We just stand there staring into the face of Jesus. And the Spirit of God does the transforming for us. And then Warren Wearsby with his ways of coining words in crafty ways. When the child of God looks into the word of God and sees the son of God, he is changed by the spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. And now, I think, a little more quickly. Number four, why the word dwelling in us or why the word of Christ? Because it affects how richly we experience the person of Christ. So I think an important detail here is Christ is the word We've seen already that the word has a living power and dynamic to it. Um, but it's the way that the, in, in the word he is showing himself, his character, his presence, his body, blood, cross, work, love, grace, mercy. And as Paul says in Philippians, resurrection power. So we know the gospel of John opens talking about Christ, calling him the word, the word, the word in threefold. In John 15, Jesus equated abiding in him and then where we expect to say, and he abide in us, which it says three verses earlier in John 15. Now he turns that with a word play and say, and my words abide or dwell in you richly. It will impact your prayer life and your faith profoundly. Sam Storms. We love the scriptures because they lead us to Christ. Therein we see the beauty of God revealed in his son. He is our exceeding great reward. Tozer, it is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself. And unless the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not the better having heard the truth. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. Fifth, quite closely related, the word of Christ is what keeps us alive spiritually and vibrant or healthy. It's the primary channel through which the life of God is imparted to us. Jesus quoting uh, Deuteronomy 8.3 and Matthew 4.4 4, when Satan is tempting him says simply, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In John 6, Jesus, the words that I have spoken that we now have recorded here are spirit and life. And again, always important here to keep in mind that the words of Christ are not, like we don't automatically connect them to the person of Christ though that is what is happening. Jesus' warning in John 5 is, you search the scriptures, he's talking to the religious leaders, because you think in them you have eternal life. If you just take the words, separate out Christ from them. But, Jesus says, they do bear witness, but you must, and he's talking to them, you refuse to come, so he's saying to us, you must come to me that you may have life, not simply to the words think all of us know people 
who know the words of the Bible well and not the person of the Bible well. Sixth, very closely tied again, because the word is sufficient. It gives us everything that we need. Um, And though God gives us all kinds of other means to grow, including this church and friends and family and many other means, the most unwavering, solid, powerful gift that stood the whole test of time are the very words of God. They are fully capable to meet and supply every need for all of life. Jared Wilson, the sufficiency of Scripture basically means that the Bible is all about, is all we need for all we need. Day by day in the Bible, word by word, we are shoring up the foundation of our lives. Seventh, the word, because the word of Christ is powerful, especially when dwelling within us deeply. They are the most powerful words, and they have the power to change a human being instantly, permanently, dramatically, powerfully. Psalm 19.7 speaks of ways that the word revives the soul, makes the, wise, the simple wise, rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes, warns, and rewards us. Hebrews 4.12 says very figuratively, very powerfully, the word of God is living and active. While other human words can have a powerful influence on us, that power is tiny compared to what the power of Christ's words working in us because they are the only ones that are actually living and active. And he goes on then to say that they are more incisive in our, in our true nature than any other words that man can generate. They're sharp. They pierce all the way down to the very inners of our soul and spirit, and they discern our thoughts and intentions that nobody else knows about. When combined with prayer and the Holy Spirit, the power of the word of Christ is incredible. We live and die spiritually, someone said, in proportion to how seriously we take this book. It is everything or it is nothing. Without it, we play, we act, we pretend that we will affect transformation. But the word of God, when used by the spirit of God, is really the only thing that has the ability to change the human soul. All right, going even just a little bit faster. Number eight out of 14. The word of Christ is a primary weapon that God gives us by which we can and are able to overcome as we fight against our flesh, temptation, the devil, the world, and all the enemies and evil forces that oppose us in Christ. Ephesians talks both about a belt of truth that holds the whole suit of armor together and the sword of the Spirit, and then it just literally explains it, which is the word of God or the word of Christ. Here we can remember that the only thing Christ used to refute uh, and turn away Satan when tempted by him was to quote scripture. Each time it took one. And by the third one, gone. That's the power of God's word in temptation, in struggles, in difficulty. So recognize that even Satan and the evil forces of darkness, knowing this, will do all they can to keep 
Colossians 3.16a from happening in you. Ninth, because the word of Christ is truth. Once again, we've seen John 1 does that, John 17 does that, and just stresses that the word, capital W, is full of grace and truth, and so the word of Christ, little w, is full of grace and truth, and the Father seeks worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. Spurgeon, I hold one single sentence of God's word to be of more certainty and of more power than all the discoveries of all the learned men of all the ages. MacArthur, Scripture is the standard by which we must test all other truth claims. Then I think a good word picture from Elizabeth Elliot, the word of God is like a straight edge which shows us our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of scripture or of truth of the word of Christ. Tenth, because the word of Christ is where and how we receive God's wisdom. Many, many scriptures that I could have put here, but I will just remind you of a couple from Colossians. You see up there, Colossians 2, 3, that Christ is the treasury, the Fort Knox of wisdom and the means by which all of us access the wisdom of God. Remember also Colossians 1.28, that we are teaching and proclaiming Christ and warning everyone in wisdom. Look at the next line in verse 16 of Colossians 3, so that we'll teach and admonish each other in wisdom. The only means by which we truly grow wise is through God's word. Eleventh, because the word of God is eternal forever, lasting, long before everything else or long after everything else passes away, the word will continue to stand firm. Twelfth, because the word is perfect. Again, Psalm 19, 7 describes it as perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, righteous altogether. Things that cannot be said about any other words in the universe. Thirteenth, because it is our authority we obey God by obeying his word. We submit to God, to Christ, by submitting to his word. And it is a huge determiner then in our destiny. John, John Stott scolding us and then exhorting us, we need to repent of the haughty way in which we sometimes stand in judgment upon scripture and must learn to sit humbly and under its judgments instead. If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it only the echo of our own thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's, then indeed we will not, He will not speak to us, and we shall surely not be, only be confirmed in our own prejudice. We must allow the Word of God, and I'm going to say the Word of Christ, dwelling riches, richly in us, to confront us, disturb our security, undermine our complacency, and overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. And 14th, in a way of just trying to summarize, simply because the word of Christ has so many benefits. You've seen 13 others here, many, many others that we could list. And Psalm 1 opens, the great book of songs, opens with this declaration. Blessed, or in the best state that a human being can be, in the favor of God is the man who, instead of listening to all the voices around him, they're negligible. Instead, two things mark his life. He delights in the law of the Lord or in the word of Christ. 
And on that word, that law, he meditates day and night. Piper summarizing. The scripture, day after day, reveals to us the greatness and the beauty and the power and the wisdom and the mercy of all that God is for us in Christ so that by the power of the Spirit, we find our joy in Him. And yes, that happens when we read it and when we hear it. But it happens far more profoundly when it is actually dwelling richly within us. So, let's try to unpack what does this unique expression mean? What is God getting at and pressing at here? So, because His Word is so important, he gives us many response. He commands many responses of us. Here's just a few. We are to read it, believe it, receive it, taste it, hold it fast, hold it forth, delight in it, search it, meditate on it, rightly handle it, preach it, teach it diligently, talk of it all the time, speak it in love, and probably the most predominant thing, obey it. But here... God uses a very unique, singular, particular wording, uh, unlike anything else quite in his word, though there are other scriptures that allude to some of these, this same concept. But it has the idea of the living and active words that go in our ears or eyes, going down deep into us and dwelling there. They take up residency. They make their home in us. And we then memorize them or remember them. We meditate on them. But I think this takes it even further. And maybe some good synonyms for this would be saturate us. They permeate our very being. Spurgeon, oh, that we would be bathed in a text of Scripture and let it be sucked up into our very soul till it saturates our heart. It's not the words of Christ lodged and filed in some library in our head. It's words that are penetrating down into our heart and reaching so robustly in us that they are taking over. They are taking control. They are ruling, to use the language of verse 15, on the peace of Christ. So that every part of our lives is affected by what Christ has to say about it. The words of Christ are the words we're hearing about how we live in whatever way, uh, whatever aspect of life we're thinking of. Sam Storms. Every human relationship, every human responsibility, whether it entails conquering some obstacle or enemy or coping with yet another problem or person, must be seen in light of the person and work, and I'm going to add here, and words of Christ. And be governed, key word, governed by it as a controlling principle. If the word of Christ is not allowed to exert this formative influence on our beliefs and behavior, whatever conquering and coping skills we develop, will not be pleasing to God or honoring of Christ himself. There's a couple other ways we might think of what God is pressing at here. First, in the totality of the whole counsel of God. 
May all the words about Christ and of Christ in the law teach us more about him. I think it's the next slide. May all the words of Christ in the books of history fill our lungs and shape us. May all the words of Christ in the books of wisdom. May all the words about Christ in the books of the prophets. May all the words about Christ in the four gospels. May all the words about Christ in the history book Acts and in the letters and epistles all at all times be dwelling richly in us, showing us Christ and shaping our lives. Here's another way we might think of it. May all the doctrines of the word of Christ dwell richly in us and nourish and strengthen our bones and our skeleton. May all the promises of the words of Christ dwell richly in us, filling our lungs with daily encouragement. May all the songs and prayers in the word of Christ course through our bloodstream. May the commands of the word of Christ dwell richly in us and direct and drive all of our muscles. May the precepts and principles of the words of Christ dwell in us and make us wiser and wiser. And may all the warnings of the words of Christ at all times be dwelling in us and in our hearts richly, con controlling us, influencing, and shaping us. And that's not the end. That's not the end of the verse. That's not the end game of everything, is that it simply is this holy, powerful, working interior. Like Part of what God is now going to say is, when that's happening, it comes out. If it's dwelling richly, it will flow out of us. And one of the ways verse 16 tells us is that we will then teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. That we will share all that we are discovering and learning and beholding of Christ with each other as the means by which we will encourage each other, strengthen each other, and walk with each other. In other words, Christ and his words are to dwell richly in each believer, you, and to dwell richly in a whole body, to be working powerfully among us. Those who are in Christ and those who have Christ in them want and desire and are filled with the word of Christ and share that word with each other as a means by which we all grow in Christ. So Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, is a good visual of this teaching and admonishing. And I know it's primarily a home setting, but I would put forth to you that it's equally applicable within the church as well. And it doesn't use the expression dwelling richly in you, but I think it's captured there in being on your heart or truly at the very core and deepest part of you. And the result of that, again, in Deuteronomy 6 is you'll teach all the words of Christ diligently, parents to their children, but the church body to each other as well, speaking it, sharing it, talking of it all the time. And it gives all the places all day long, all the ways uh, affecting our eyes, affecting our hands, affecting our house, all of our activity, all of this, the word of Christ is speaking into us 
and influencing everything we're doing, everything we're thinking, everywhere we're going, all of our activity. That's what God wants, intends for his word to be doing. Now, either with your eyes in Colossians 3 or with your mind from memory, put this back in. Josh, can you go back? I'm sorry. Can you go back to that opening slide where we have the whole 11 through 17 on one? I should have made another slide and I didn't think of it till just a little bit ago. Yes, thank you. So, all of what verse 16, and we're just doing the first two lines at this point, though it impacts our singing uh, as well, but all that is happening with the word of Christ is permeating all of this. In other words, teaching and admonishing each other should be done because we all see each other equal in Christ and that Christ is what matters most. All of this should be done by us putting on compassionate and meek hearts, kind hearts. All of it because we're humble with each other and we're patient and we're bearing with each other and we have an incredible deep love for Christ, for his word, and for the work of his word in each of our hearts. And all of that bringing what verse 15 talked about at the end of last week's message. The peace of Christ just settles on this body. It rules this body. It unites this body. And it brings it together, if you remember that wording at the end of verse 14, in perfect harmony. I want to unpack more of this next week. I know a number of you will be gone, at least typically on Memorial Day weekend there are. If you are gone, if you're not able to be here, I want to encourage you, ask you, urge you to listen in and to take uh, that particular application to heart as well. More on that in the midweek and coming next Sunday. Let me close with this urging. We haven't talked about how. And I don't think there's like just this clean, simple little one, two, three, and here it happens. Here's what I would say. At the very foundation of everything here is how we view and value the word of Christ. Because if those two things are in place, it puts into action that dwelling. So how important and how necessary do you see the words of Christ to be to you, to your life, to your salvation, to your sanctification, to your relationship with him? And secondly, how valuable is that to you? How important, how beautiful of a treasure are his words to you? Those two things, how important you see it, how valuable you see it, will greatly impact not just what you do with the word of Christ, but what it does in you and to what degree it influences you I don't usually give you homework because I know if there isn't a grade attached to it or money attached to it you're not going to do it but this week especially if you don't feel like the word of God richly dwells in you would you go through Psalm 119? I know it's the longest chapter in the Bible. But if you would just work your way through that, it is so rich with the how. It talks about 
convictions, it talks about passions, it talks about activities, and, and in all of those where it says the word, the commands, the statutes, the testimonies, think word of Christ. And think of all the ways that that psalm speaks to this. Really, the psalm is the words of Christ that teach us how to have the words of Christ dwell richly in us.